What difference can one person make in a global pandemic? It feels great to know that our work is helping not only our community, but because of the framework of Mass for Docs, because we're all over the United States, across six continents, the lessons learned were pushed out all over the world. We're living in uncertain times, surrounded by chaos, fear, even outrage. But a new world is emerging, putting forth beams of hope, healing, community, and recovery. Welcome to Luminaries in the Dark, hopeful stories about people pivoting their life and their work to rise above chaos and help those in need. I'm your host, Bruce Bracken. These days, it is critical to get protective equipment and supplies into the hands of healthcare workers as quickly as possible. And a recent startup, Masks for Docs, does just that. Mitch Wittenberg, the Seattle regional lead for Masks for Docs, talks to us about how their grassroots effort quickly turned global and how they are connecting frontline workers with the resources they need. Hi, Mitch. Welcome to the show. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you do for Masks for Docs. Hey there, Bruce. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, my name is Mitch Wittenberg. I'm the local lead here for Masks for Docs Seattle. We're working with around 60 volunteers from all over the Seattle area, getting protective equipment into the hands of those who need it. Wonderful. And do I remember correctly from our last conversation that before Masks for Docs, you worked in the restaurant business? Yeah, I was a system director for a local restaurant group here in Seattle. Nothing too fancy, but just sort of unifying the administration of unique chef-driven concepts, leading standardization in new property build-outs. I was really happy to find Masks for Docs. They only started in late March when this crisis started affecting Washington in a very real way. And I was very thankful that I was able to apply those skills for Mass for Docs. During your day-to-day, when the crisis hit, it impacted all of us, obviously. But how did it impact you? And being a Seattleite, how did you see Seattle being impacted? And what was the impetus for you to then reach out and look for ways that you could jump in and help during the crisis? Before the COVID crisis, I think that we were maybe aware of some things, inequalities, but that when the COVID crisis hit, these sort of have and have not situations were amplified to the nth degree. And so hearing about how some facilities maybe have had the overhead of supplies, have the capacity to, you know, bid for their own materials, hearing how these other facilities are left to fend for themselves, already understaffed, in no way set up to be able to run effectively. And one thing that inspired me as I was looking for, you know, a way to put my time into volunteering was Mass for Docs focus on trying to remember who's maybe doesn't have someone in their facility on social media looking for available donations. How can we connect with existing community groups who have that familiarity with facilities who could benefit from a donation? That idea of serving the underserved certainly helped motivate me as I was looking for volunteer opportunities. And I was glad that that was part of Masks for Docs DNA. How did you hear about Masks for Docs? How did you become involved? Like so many of us looking at social media, trying to get a handle on this new world that we were living in, trying to find out where could I help, knowing that I I wasn't going to be satisfied just sitting on my hands. And like so many of the volunteers out there found out about Masks for Docs on social media. The announcement was put out that, you know, hey, this is a group that has a laser sharp focus to get whatever equipment is available out immediately. They said, hey, let's get this going today. So inspiring to see that on on social media and was as simple as signing up on their website. So now that you've joined up with Masks for Docs, what is your primary role? I'm coordinating sort of our our volunteer base along with our, our donors here in the Seattle area with the facilities who are reaching out who are in need. 
specifically, you know, on that side of things, identifying facilities in need. MasterDocs does a little bit of outreach, putting the word out that, you know, hey, we're this resource that's out there. Once those requests comes in, it's up to our group to be able to coordinate those requests, find out specifically what that facility is doing, how we might be able to help them, and then getting the word out to our makers to be able to create those PPE items from whole cloth or else coordinating the donation from someone who might have this equipment and getting it, getting it out to that facility in need. It sounds like you've got multiple aspects to Masks for Docs. When we spoke, you mentioned three different types of volunteers. Can you tell me a little bit about each of those areas? The Seattle group has formed in a way that we have a few different, you know, rough seats that people fill. The most common role is people in their house who have stepped up saying, I have a 3D printer and MasterDocs has made a large effort to sort of understand how people can leverage their 3D printers at home to fulfill the urgent need. So these folks who are, you know, still going to work, they're just able to pop open their 3D printer every couple hours and get that PPE running. That'd be one of our volunteers. Another seat that's filled is our drivers. This is what actually makes the magic happen as far as making those runs sometimes twice a week to be able to pick up the supplies from our makers, from our donors, and then either bringing it to the assembly hub where we do all the cleaning and prep it for delivery, marry items from one bucket to other items that are needed to make that a complete kit, and finally making the deliveries to the facilities themselves. And lastly, and perhaps most importantly, is our outreach team. This is the team that's following up on those direct requests, watching the map of new COVID cases around our state, finding out where those hotspot areas are and reaching out directly to leaders as well as facilities themselves to find out if we have the supplies that can make a difference. And when did Masks for Docs first open its doors? Masks for Docs started late March by two folks down in Southern California. We got Rachel Smith and Chad Loader. They're entrepreneurs coming from that tech scene knew that, you know, hey, their skills in leveraging technology and being able to make a difference with the minimal framework just to get things running. From there, it's been really amazing to see, you know, we have 60 volunteers here in Washington, but then MasterDocs as a whole, over 5,000 volunteers across six continents. That's really inspiring for me, you know, as our group worked to find the best practices around 3D printing. We were collaborating with the Santa Clara 3D printing group down in California. And then, you know, our work of documentation and best practices that was applied to the MasterDocs chapter over in India. It feels great to know that our work is helping not only our community, but because of the framework of MasterDocs, because we're all over the United States, across six continents, the lessons learned were pushed out all over the world. Can you speak a bit more about, was there a larger impetus? Was there a backstory behind it? Why masks as opposed to something else? When we think about the origins of Mass for Docs, the name can be deceiving. We have Mass for Docs in the name, and, you know, it's true that, you know, a lot of our chapters are focused on sourcing N95s, making hand-sewn cloth masks. But when you dive into each chapter, it's not as if we're only providing masks. In fact, the Seattle chapter has provided far more face shields than masks. And that's just to highlight that each chapter is deliberately set up to first understand what the local need is, and then through that basic framework, trying to step up and meet that need. Right. And, and that makes total sense. So in thinking of the different types of masks that you all provide, I know that you work with people in the makerspace doing 3D masks. Are those visors or are those breathable masks? Which kind of masks are those? Yeah, the Seattle chapter of, of Mask for Docs has focused primarily on 3D printed face shields. So if you can imagine sort of a princess tiara that we print on a 3D printer, and then we attach some transparent material to the front of that. 
from the facilities that we were able to communicate with. This is what they indicated was, you know, a great unmet need. And from there, we, we worked with them to understand, okay, if we're going to make a face shield, what does your facility need from that face shield? And then on the flip side, what can maximize our volunteers' time from that? And we made a concerted effort with our partners here in Washington State to get explicit approval to get that green light from Harborview. Harborview has gone through, has vetted it, give this thumbs up. And that way we could tell our volunteers with confidence, hey, this is the design that we have the green light for, print to your heart's content. One piece of feedback that we received as far as why do we put all of our effort into face shields? We saw that high demand. And as we learned, you know, this offers a greater degree of protection and a face shield can extend the life of a mask. So, you know, as, as the hospital are rationing N95s, they're rationing surgical masks, adding that face shield can offer, you know, immediate protection as well as extending that life of that one mask that someone might be asked to use for a longer than normal period of time. While we can't say, you know, officially this can be used X amount of times, we are hearing that folks are using it for weeks on end, cleaning it to their own facilities standards, which is, you know, really inspiring for us to know that these materials that we're making are being used again and again and again to help protect people who are using them. And so the blueprint that you provide to your maker volunteers, is it the same blueprint globally or do they maybe differ between chapters? Different between chapters. Yeah, you know, talking to the Arizona group, they have a completely different design that has become the accepted design in the Arizona area. And the great thing about Mass for Docs is more power to them. You know, they did the legwork. They were able to understand what the community needed. They're doing one design. Mass for Docs in Seattle is doing another design. And because it's all very much grassroots chapter led, when that new volunteer joins, whether it's in Seattle or in New York, the structure is in place to say, hey, you know, this is what we found go do the best you can. Just make sure that we're all pointed in the right direction for that community. And out of curiosity, how many Seattle chapter makers do you have actively working on the 3D printing aspect? I'm super proud of, of the Seattle chapter here. We were operating with 60 makers all over the community. We were getting packages in from, you know, San Juan Islands. We had, you know, drivers going all the way down to South Tacoma. Globally, Mass Products, I can't speak for makers specifically, but there's well over 5,000 volunteers participating in Mass for Docs one way or the other across the entire Mass for Docs organization. I know that Masks for Docs provides cloth masks. How do you come across the cloth masks? Do you also have people who are working with you to sew the masks? Are there particular groups that you're sourcing from? On the subject of masks in general, in the early days, people could raid their earthquake kits and maybe we'd find a dentist, you know, with an office of, of extra supplies and we were able to get those out pretty quickly. But that well dried up pretty fast. So that switched to, hey, what can we do as a stopgap measure? And the answer was hand-sewn cloth masks. Mask for Seattle does have a few sewers on our team. And we've been really fortunate to work with partners, SoStrong.org, StopTheBug.org, as well as the Seattle Mask Brigade. They have led incredible efforts for the production of sewn masks. And what about the delivery aspect? Is this just the like picking up of the, of the final product and distributing them out? Or do you have people picking up materials, taking them to the makers, for example? If I remember correctly, you, you have a mix between bikers, drivers. So it sounds like a pretty well-organized delivery system. We certainly do try our best to make each day more coordinated than the last. I'm proud of thinking, you know, hey, this is a this is a pretty motley crew as far as we have a 3D printer over there. We have local business owners like Fremont Laser and Dusty Strings. Everyone's doing their part. 
The goal is to get this PPE in the hands of those who need it. That often meant, hey, we have a large production of these 3D printed visors. We're going to need to grab that and then, you know, swing by our donor in the UW neighborhood for our transparency materials, process both of them, make sure that they're compatible and matched up, making those into easy to use kits. So that way, you know, when these materials are in the final location, that it's very simple to just pick up that bag and, and put it to immediate use. That coordination of multiple sources, multiple materials, a lot of spreadsheets, a lot of communication. At the end of the day, you know, it was really just trying to put all, all these puzzle pieces together and make sure we can do our best. What is the full range, the full extent of the people or organizations, companies, hospitals that receive masks from either your chapter or masks for docs? As of recording, I'm looking at just under 100 unique facilities that have received donations. That's everywhere from primarily those 3D printed face shields to protective eyewear, gloves, those cloth masks. And it looks like the total for the Seattle chapter is just over 11,000 as of today. And, you know, every chapter is going to be different. But just knowing that, you know, each volunteer is really putting their heart out and doing as much as they can in their area. Do you ever hear back from the recipients of the masks? It really starts with our outreach team following that trail of a referral and being connected with that right person at that hospital, at that facility. So often the administrator had just struggled to get that PPE in hand. But, you know, so relieved that they're able to get this call from MassProdox and receive that donation. As far as specific recipients, I know that one early on, you know, has really stuck with me. Taking the example of this home healthcare worker who was tasked to work without protective equipment. They know their patients and are driven to help. But in this crisis, they were asked to put themselves and ultimately the patients at risk because of the lack of PPE. But, you know, we were able to get in, get them this donation to help them and their team through. And just receiving that thank you card, hearing how the donation helped protect the healthcare workers and their patients is inspiring to the whole team. Thinking about some other chapters, I was delighted to hear that the Masterdocs chapter in California that started out as a cosplay group, creating costumes from their favorite TV shows and movies, this particular chapter was focused on Star Wars. They joke that the rebels and the Empire joined forces in creating PPE. If that's not a success story, I don't know what is. Another chapter that's definitely worth a highlight would be the New York City chapter. They're delivering thousands of PPE items across all five boroughs every week. Chapter in Arizona, that's run by an 18-year-old college student. There was College Robotics Club. And then finally, the youngster of the group is a 14-year-old volunteer just outside of Chicago. 3D printing face shields at his home, just highlighting that everyone's doing their part and doing what they can. It's always great to hear back how people's lives, especially on the front lines, are affected by the work that you do. You know, there are a bunch of different groups and organizations that are involved in making masks, but I'm really blown away by how quickly you all have grown, but also how organized you are. You mentioned the Seattle group. It sounded like you had chapters in every state, and now it sounds like you have chapters globally. That's correct. Yeah. And, you know, I can't speak to the other chapters, but just knowing that myself saying, you know, hey, Restaurant industry construction, that slowed down. Where can I put my skills? Masterdocs was a very practical outlet for iterating on immediate solutions. We found a partner with Fremont Laser and Design right here in the Fremont neighborhood. They were also affected by both the COVID crisis as well as the shutdown, and they wanted to help. Don over at Fremont Laser, he's an amazing guy. He wanted to help, but not sure where to start. But then he was able to find Masterdocs from a fraternity brother from UW Engineering. So, you know, just speaking for the Washington chapter, knowing that it was truly the community, the grassroots nature 
that focus on immediate solutions. That's what started up here in Washington State, here in the Seattle area. And I can only imagine that that same passion and sort of being able to harness and, and go forward, that that's happened all over the country, all over the world with Masperdox. Right. And some of these organizations make masks and then find a way to get them out. But with the entire organizational structure that you have, and it kind of covers the whole end-to-end process, what was it like for you all to ramp all of that up in just a couple of months? And why did you decide to try to integrate all of that into your organization as opposed to just like one small piece of it? I think the perspective that Masterdoc Seattle shares, you know, within our volunteers, we saw the effects on our community. We have friends and family working in the healthcare industry and hearing from them, they don't have what they need, what can be done? And so the question was, how do we get there? How do we get a face shield in their hands? How do we get a hand-sewn cloth mask in their hands? No one's an expert of 3D printing, 30 face shield frames, 30 face shield visors at a time, but let's do the work and let's find out how we can be experts in that area. Starting out with that friends and family knowledge of, you know, something's not right here, how can we hopefully make a difference? As we progressed over the coming weeks, we were able to develop relationships with local medical communities, as well as the union group here in Washington. We continued to hear from them that supplies couldn't be ordered. Supplies could be ordered, but then fall off the back of the truck before they'd arrive. Trying to understand the landscape and knowing that there was this need, that just drove us to say, hey, how can we continue our production, get these things in bulk? How can we work better with our partner organizations like the Seattle Mass Brigade? like SoStrong.org, how can we better meet this need? Whether it's our family member who's working as a nurse or hearing from the head of the union group that Washington State just simply wasn't getting supplies at that time, we wanted to do everything that we could to fill that gap. And thus we became as good as possible in fulfilling those needs. By the way, just out of curiosity, you mentioned that supplies were falling off the back of a truck. You mean supplies just weren't showing up that were promised or was there something else going on? Quite simply, the trucks were not pulling up to the dock with the supplies that they had ordered, leaving those facilities, leaving that staff with fewer supplies than they needed. And talking about how masks for docks grew so quickly, how did all the different statewide chapters evolve and come into existence? Was it a bunch of different groups who were maybe already involved in this, but came together under kind of one umbrella? Yeah, I think that idea of how does anything get started It's truly having an outlet for people to put their energy into. And so creating that strategic framework to say, people want to do good. How can we empower them and give them the outlet to do the most good? Masterdox, I think, was exceptional in their ability to give the framework for chapters to get started, while at the same time letting them run and effectively serve their unique community. All of Masterdox is connected through Slack. And so one lesson learned in the Ohio chapter that's figured out and sorted out in that chapter. And then we're able to take that information and run with it in our chapter. That's a self-perpetuating positive feedback loop. These groups who want to do good, they have that outlet and they have the benefit of other chapters who are working within the same constraints, looking to serve that same common goal, being able to build off of each other and have that positive synergy. And then I'm assuming all the chapters still keep in touch with each other and share lessons learned and things like that? 100%. It's both the positives and the negatives, making sure that everyone's effort is put to the best use. As people are evolving into a new rhythm, a new life, a new way of living and working, I've heard a lot of people say that we will never go back to normal. 
And while I do agree that we'll never go back to our old normal, I think a new normal will evolve. How do you see that new normal? What do you think that new normal might look like? How will masks for docs evolve into that new normal? And how do you see you evolving into this new normal? You can't cross the same river twice. You can never go home again. That idea of, you know, what does the future look like? For me personally, I've been involved with urban cycling and, you know, that idea of does each family need to have a two-car garage and, and this, that, and the other? Can things be walkable and whatnot? That certainly has given me pause as far as, you know, what does a city look like living through COVID? How can we still have a walkable city while maintaining social distancing and, and being safe and whatnot? On top of the very real idea of many major tech companies either outright saying we're going to be work from home for any of our knowledge workers for the foreseeable future. I don't think I have answers, but it makes me think of what does a city look like in the, the new normal? Along with that new normal, how does Masks for Docs continue to see itself evolve into this new world? We've seen that progression as we always try to get the most up-to-date picture of demand. We focus on first responders and large hospitals and then, you know, expanding out once we heard that needs were met there, what other facilities are in need out there. And then moving forward, if the community is in need of cloth masks, Mask for Docs wants to be there, wants to be on the front line to be able to say, hey, here's a way of receiving that donation. It really all starts with understanding the most current picture of demand. And so as needs change, we hope to be there to effectively meet that need. And Mitch, I know for you that it was really important to get involved during this crisis, and you've done a fantastic job with it. How do you see yourself evolving as we move into the new world? Personally, it really does feel like things have change and continue to change really quickly. But as I try to take time for self-reflection, I'm reminded that the idea of filling your day, your nine to five with something meaningful, how important that is and the good that can be done, continue to do good, continue to serve the community. I never would have guessed that 60 volunteers could take this as far as we have. With as widespread as you all have expanded yourselves and as quickly as you have and the 5,000 plus volunteers, how are you funded? How are people supporting your organization? Yeah, Masterdocs got its start through donations and a grant through an organization called the Rescue Accelerator Foundation. They were able to give that sort of jumpstart to be able to get those communication tools up online, get all of the software that runs our day-to-day -day operations, facilitate large donations when necessary. And then we also offer ways for people to donate directly to their local chapter. So for people and organizations in your communities, how do they reach out if they are in need of masks? Yeah, the first step is connecting that facility to the local chapter. That all starts with maskfordocs.com. We have it broken up so that way, just at the top there, you can find your local chapter. That helps make sure that when you put on that request, that that's going straight to the inbox of that local lead. That sets the chain for the team to look at your request and, and reach out. If people want to jump into the makerspace, if people want to contribute cloth masks, if people want to help with pickups and deliveries, what's the best way for them to reach out to you and become one of the team? You can go to the same website as a volunteer would go to to sign up, and that's massprodocs.com. From there, you can find the local chapter, and that's where you can put in a request for a donation. That's where you can sign up to volunteer, whether that be volunteer remotely or volunteer on the road or at the assembly hub. And finally, there's a little spot there to provide a monetary donation. That's all at massfordocs.com. 
you've done an amazing job, you personally, all of you involved in Masks for Docs. And I know that folks on the front line, people in hospitals, are all very appreciative of all of the hard work that all of you are doing. And it's been an honor and a pleasure having you on the show and telling us all about it. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much and have a good one. It's important during these uncertain times that we do what we can to help light the path through the darkness. I'm your host, Bruce Bracken, for Luminaries in the Dark. Stay safe, stay healthy.